Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. my previous video. You see how I roll. Hey everybody, Chawan here. Today I am fucking stoked to be talking to Jason Miller. He is a writer, he's a teacher, and an expert of accessible practical magic that I think is meant for everyone and anyone. And my first introduction to Jason, and I've talked about it before, was his book, Financial Sorcery. And it's in the money magic video I did. His other books, which include Protection and Reversal Magic and The Sorcerer's Secret, they are both in the top 100 in the occult category in the Kindle store. And he has a background that's super deep in traditions that are as diverse as studying hoodoo in New Orleans and Tantra in Nepal, which is something I definitely want to ask him about. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. What's interesting is that you say you're trying to take magical people and plant their feet on the ground. What does that mean exactly? I was always troubled by a question that would get asked a lot of, of magical people, pagans, magicians, etc. And, and it's sort of like, well, if magic works, why don't you have your shit together? The question is always like, why aren't you rich? And there's an answer for that, but there really isn't a good answer for why don't you even have like your basic shit together? Financially, emotionally, love life, whatever aspect. It's not because magic doesn't work. I think most people who try a spell get a result and they realize it works. But we use it sometimes in ways that are not particularly smart, and we don't ground it in any kind of real-world knowledge of the thing that we're after. So sticking with money magic, there are a lot of people who go through and they do, you know, hours, years of study, hours of ritual and, and, and uh, you know, going completely balls to the wall with magic. But then you ask them something about money or finding a job and it's clear they don't, they don't want to know, they don't have any interest and you can't really enchant for something that you're not interested in. I say taking magical people and putting their feet on the ground, in other words, it's sort of like, well, you know, if you're after uh, money magic, then you should take maybe 30% of your reading and start reading about how money works and how the economy works. And, and if it's love, then, you know, you should take 30% of your reading and start, uh, you know, catch a shower, update the wardrobe. I don't want to start talking like a, a pickup artist guy. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there are certain skills that can be learned as far as just being charming, not, not all this manipulative stuff, but, um, you know, being outgoing is, is something. Learning to hear no for an answer and not wanting to crawl in your house for a week is, is a skill that can be learned. So all of these things... Take, take the magical people and, and put their feet back on the ground. Say, hey, you know, you're living here, take an interest in the real world. Uh, it's not all gods and spirits. Apply that stuff. That's so interesting for me to hear because it seems as though a lot of mainstream business people, thanks to Oprah and people like her, they do a lot of law of attraction. They listen to a lot of Esther Hicks. So it's almost like they're bringing in some magic into their own world. And, you know, maybe it's because it's now normal 
for people in the business world to talk about what is it um there's a specific name they put onto it new thought i forget exactly yeah, yeah. what it new thought and that's considered totally okay the stereotype that i've always had of magical people is that they live in their mom's basement they would rather play dungeons and dragons than go out on a date that's one of the reasons why it took a really long time for me to take magic seriously it just seemed like a lot of really scary dudes you know and it didn't seem like a safe place for women to go but the thing is is that in a recent rune soup podcast they we're talking about the witch aesthetic that's like big right now amongst young women and that magical people are actually kind of grumbling and saying i don't want these girls who are like into like the crystals and the chakra shirts and stuff i don't want them coming to my magical meetings i'm kind of one of those who is really into magic because i love the aesthetic so what are your thoughts about that like the new influx of people coming in you know i'm 45 so older people are always apt to complain about younger people and that's just the way of the world Mm -hmm. um but there there's good things about it and there's bad things about it on the one hand um my message is, is met um is is met a lot more readily by young folks who are not uh you know who who are a little bit grounded in the real world who come from background of media or or something like that. So I'm finding less and less young people fit that stereotype of, you know, I'm living in the mom's basement and I'm just super different because I'm a magician. You know, I've always said, if you can't walk into a party and hold a conversation with people that is not about magic, you have a problem. <laughs> right. And, Right, you know, because it's boring as shit to people that aren't into it. Yeah. Just like any, any other specialty, right? So um, I, I think that it's good in that respect. The people that get into it for an aesthetic, there is, there has always been uh, people that get involved in magic because they've had weird experiences happen to them. Like and you. so they get right, like me, uh, and so they get involved for that. And then there are other people who get it who don't have that. They get involved because friends are involved. There's a community around it. You know, this has always been the case. It's not new. And then now there are people that are into it because of the aesthetic. But I would argue, again, you know, the hippie counterculture aesthetic is not any different. So uh, it has little to do with age. So they're going to have a different experience, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, look, sometimes people get into magic and they want to hear the spirits speak, and then some people get into magic because they want to make the spirits shut up. And eventually, if you both start practicing and doing the work, it's all going to, you know, you're going to meet in the middle and uh, be able to build a community. I do see in some areas, um, you know, not necessarily a safe space for women. And I, I think you could say that about a lot of communities. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are some areas in pagan and Wiccan communities when I was growing up that were very heavily women, not dominated in a domineering way, just numbers wise. Um, more attractive to women than men. And I've always kind of felt like it should be in the middle. And um, all it really takes is for people to be reminded of what we're there for and for, for the leaders of any group to kind of slap down like, you know, okay, yes, this is a, a group where, say, it's 70, 80% men and, and uh, an attractive woman shows up like, okay, down. This is not your excuse to start suddenly start talking about sex magic or, or, or things like that. Just like she's there to learn or to practice or to teach just like anyone else. And for lack of a better word, think of it as a professional environment. 
one of the things that I love about your course and your books is that it seems to be based upon some like almost science. It's like really solid in what it's based on. Can you do a love spell? Can you do any spell and get results from a simple candle magic spell? Yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's. I've always said when people get into magic, they tend to think that changing the mind is easier than making stuff happen out in the world. Like, and it's, it's actually not true. So a candle magic spell to attract a new lover or to, uh, you know, to, to make something bad happen to someone or to attract a new job might be easier than healing a broken heart. Right. Hmm. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. We have a lot of ingrained habits and tendencies and feelings that can't be swished away, but probability for one thing happening is always in sway. So, I've, I have a lot of respect for candle magic. I, I have seen situations where I remember um, there, was, there was a guy and a young lady, and they were having things devolved into a magical back and forth. And uh, the guy said, you know, I'm going to go home and summon this goetic demon, and you do your little candle magic, ha, ha, ha. And, uh, yeah, she totally kicked his ass. Um <laughs> Now, why so, do you think, why do you think that, okay, so let's think about like a teenage girl, right? And she just got dumped by her boyfriend and she Googles <laughs> like some candle spell where it's like you say some like thing that rhymes over a red candle and then it doesn't work, right? Why didn't right. it work? Well, you know, there's any number of factors. Um, so there's, there is how strong the probability was. So if she's doing a spell to get him back, um, if he is already deeply in with someone else, then it becomes a harder thing to, to reunite. Um, there's also the experience and, and power of the magician. What are they doing? Are they just relying upon their own uh, power? Are they calling spirits? Uh, how far do you want to go? This returning of lovers is like the number one request sorcerers get. I don't do it. Um, and, and I really strongly recommend against it. I understand it's traditional. And there was certainly a time when, uh, you know, a woman and a mother's destiny was really hinged on the dude sticking around uh, because after the kid is born and the dude takes off with some young chicky and she's left penniless, I totally understand a spell to make his ass come back and make good. These days, too many people are the, the occult version of that diaper-wearing astronaut from a few years ago. Oh my God, I you remember, know? yeah. Right? She drove uh, to Florida with, like, Wearing a diaper, because, you know, when you're out to kidnap your lover, you don't have time to stop for potty breaks. And she's got duct tape and a sledgehammer in the back of the car. And, um, you know, it, it's all sort of like, you know, the occult version of that. So I'm not into it. It's not my scene. So, you know, why didn't it work? Uh, it could be because she's new. It could be because probability it was not an enchantable situation. Um, Enchantable situation. That now, that's probably something that a new magician has not heard. So I think a lot of new ma magicians, they think that magic is some sort of literally like Harry Potter shit. You know, it's like you wave a wand, you do a candle spell, and then suddenly miracles happen. But you're suggesting that that's not what magic is. What is magic? You know, I... I, I go into this in my, I've got a book coming out in February called Elements of Spellcrafting, and I go into this, and there's actually little comics throughout the book that, that go into this a little bit too. Um, and I, 
there's a famous definition from Aleister Crowley that magic is the art and science of causing change and conformity with will. And then ever since that, people have tweaked his definition to be, you know, Dion Fortune wanted it to be changes in consciousness because I don't, she didn't want people focusing on this sorcery stuff. And then uh, chaos magicians, I think Frager UD said, you know, using the point of gnosis to, to chain, make changes in conformity with will. I don't want to add anything to that definition. I would simply change the word cause for the term influence. It influences change. So it is, depending on the strength, that's how big of an influence it is. But, you know, so if you're going out for a job and you are maybe a little underqualified for it, but you, there's still a chance you'll get it. Maybe you've got a 1 in 80 chance or a 1 in 100 chance of getting this job. And you do magic, and it tips the scales in your favor, despite the odds being against you. That's very different than winning Mega Millions, where the odds are 1 in, like, 900 million or something. Um, where literally you are... 30 times more likely to be struck by lightning twice in a year than, than win. Uh, those are some really steep odds. So it's not about causing change. It's about influencing change and understanding the other influences that are there. You know, when it comes to influencing people's minds, um, there are things that you can do to lightly influence uh, which is why I try to steer people towards love magic that is about attracting someone who might ordinarily like them if they were having a good day. <laughs> so they could use magic to, to kind of give them a good day and, and uh, as opposed to kind of forcing someone. And then there is stronger magic where essentially it's a curse, where you're... you're binding someone and, and things don't go well for them if they step out of this line you want them to walk. But um, even then, if it's, if it's a high probability of failure, then it may not work. I like how you stress um, mundane action in addition to yeah. doing magic. Why is it important to do the, first of all, what would be um, the perfect combination? 60% mundane, 40% magic, more or less? Oh, it honestly, I, I, it depends on what we're talking about. Um, you know, it, it, I, would, I would say 60 to 80% mundane. Oh, that's 20%. Because you know what happens is when people start doing 50% or more of their effort as magic, sometimes... They, they forget to do the things that ordinarily need to be done, in which case it becomes an obstacle mm. in doing the magic. Um, you know, give me a scenario and I'll walk you through. Okay. So I'm going for a job interview tomorrow. And let's say that I have a pretty good chance of getting it. One out of five. Right. What would you advise that that person do to really help them like 100% get that job? Awesome. Okay. So, um, you know, first of all, you're, you're already at the interview stage, which is great because now you've already overcome, you know, the 800 applications that they received. So, you know, you're pre-qualified. You're, you're going in and you're pre-qualified. So going in, um, first of all, I would put effort into uh, some Venusian magic. It's not so much about getting the message of your qualifications across. They have that already. Like they, they've seen your, your resume. They have it in front of them. It's about making yourself somebody that they want to work with and be around and somebody that can contribute to their organization. So you're taking all that stuff on your resume and you've got to make it, and this is what it's going to do for you. 
these are the features, but this is the advantage to you. You already know what I've done. Here's what's going to change it, you know, make me a game changer for you guys. Um, and so that falls under Venus. You know, you're, you're proverbially making people fall in love with you. If you, let's say that you did 80% of your effort as magic, right? So then people go gonzo. They start going, okay, well, I've got this Venusian oil and this boss, and they start putting, like, oil on themselves. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you smell kind of funky. Mm -hmm. They'll say, okay, well, I brought you a physical copy of my resume, too, even though you have an electronic copy. And then they'll, they'll dress it up with, like, oil and stuff. That looks like shit. It looks like you just, like, ate fried chicken before your interview and you know, rubs oil on it or worse, people put powder on it. And it's like, yeah, you know, you just brought an anthrax letter in. So that's no good. Um, so, you know, you keep that stuff light, maybe take a copy of your resume and on your altar, uh, set it up so that there's a, a lodestone on top to attract things. And then you bring a clean copy of your resume so that there's some some resonance there. I would say a candle, but I don't like leaving candles burning unattended. There are energetic things that you can do during an interview uh, where you are passing a little bit of energy their way, uh, where you can say certain mantras before the interview. Uh, to to you, Kurukula would be a useful one from the Buddhist tradition. Um, to kind of give you that influence to hook them. But then once you're in there, stop thinking about the magic stuff. You've got to be totally present for the interview as opposed to, yes, so you should hire me because, um, you know, um, so that's what I mean. I've seen magic actually get in the way of regular things that people need to do. So I say, you know, 20 to 30% of the effort should be magical. But if you go into the interview and you don't have an answer to what your worst qualities are, then all the magic in the world is not your, that magic is now climbing an uphill battle. Give the magic a downhill battle. So magic can tip the scale a little bit as opposed to, well, you tanked the interview, so now Karukula has to basically haunt this person's dreams uh, and make them scared not to hire you. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've learned is that magic is best used when you're not in a desperate situation. Like a lot of people, they do money magic, they do love magic when things are going to shit. But it's actually better to try to upkeep a positive situation and not use it as an emergency. Why is that? A long time ago, I wrote or said emergency magic is bad magic. It was one of the principles of strategic sorcery when I outlined these 10 principles. Uh, and I have a whole chapter on it now in the new book. But people kind of took it the wrong way that I thought people shouldn't do magic when there is an emergency. Of course you can. Uh, and emergencies happen to everyone, but they shouldn't happen all the time. They, they shouldn't happen because you didn't do any proactive magic. When I was growing up, a lot of people, uh, a lot of leaders in the community would even would say, magic is for when all else has failed. Like spell work is for when all else has failed. Right. You know, you mm -hmm. save that stuff for when you don't know what else to do. And my argument is always, it's too late to really get a good result. Um, an example I talk about in Elements of Spellcrafting is uh, a, a, someone that came to me to save their business that was already on death's door. And what happened is the magic worked, but it essentially found a buyer for that business so that they could extract themselves without losing their shirts. So it minimized the damage. And in any emergency, that's really what you're looking for. Minimize the damage, because this is 
probably going to happen. Whereas if we use magic proactively, if we work it into our strategy, if we make a plan that would work without magic and then use magic to make sure that it works, then we, we have the makings of strategic sorcery. We have the makings of, of getting what we're going after. Your course, Strategic Sorcery, what I like about that course is that it's a year-long course, and so it's 52 lessons, and it's, I'm kind of behind. I'm like on week 23 or something like that. But you uh, start off, no you just, yeah, I mean, I'll get to it. But what I like about that course is that you're actually starting from a, a very basic, like lesson one is very basic, and you're building upon the principles of the previous weeks. And I noticed that unlike a, a lot of other maybe magic stuff that I've Googled, you seem to stress meditation and um, a lot of sort of more almost Buddhist things. And I thought that was very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, I, I have a background in Buddhism. Um, in 1996, I uh, did a ritual, a Western magical ritual called uh, Gaining the Knowledge and Conversation of Your Holy Guardian Angel. And uh, it steered me into... Tibetan Buddhism. Went over to Nepal. I lived for a time with the great Nakba Kunzang Dorje um, and did a lot of studying, took lots of tantric initiations, got bunked on the head a bunch of times. And Okay, when you say tantra, uh, though, most people are going to think tantra, like sex? That's certainly not the whole of it. Uh, and most of what you get on, like, a tantric sex weekend is loosely rooted in those teachings. Um, and I'm, I'm not against that. I'm not against, you know, I'm not against those those weekends. In some ways, they cut through a lot of the monastic bullshit that's been layered on top of this stuff. And I'm very sex positive. So, you know, if people want to go and use these spiritual techniques to have longer, better, more fulfilling orgasms, then, you know... I don't see any problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's not, that's not a big, you know, like, yeah, oh, horrible. But it is not traditional Tantra with all of its sorcery and, uh, and, and, and so on. And so within this world of Tantra, uh, you know, I was introduced to the power of offerings, making offerings to spirits rather than just summoning them and commanding them or requesting things from them blindly. Um, I was introduced to the ways that folk magic, I was already combining ceremonial magic and, and root work uh, in my practice, but this was sort of the, like the first time I had seen a tradition where both of these things operated uh, together seamlessly. These elements of folk magic and really complex, almost overly complex and Byzantine ceremonial magic come together. Um, it was just beautiful and it reframed the way I thought about magic in many, many ways. And so eventually I did step out of that world um, I decided that I did not want to be a translator or, or llama in that sense. I, I, I felt my calling was to the broader world of, of magic, but I've taken, I still practice, first of all, uh, Dzogchen meditation, Purba practice. It helped me understand and reframe a lot of what I see in, in Western magic. I mean, I'm totally on board with the meditation, but I got to tell you that one of the things that I have a really hard time accepting even now is this entire concept of, because, you know, I'm like a hardcore atheist. It's hard enough believing in like a Christian God, but now you're telling me that, you know, we're going to give offerings to Jupiter and we're going to give Venus. What? I read books about them when I was young and fairies and spirit. What? No. You know, what is all this? <laughs> So, you know, what I would say is that the good thing about sorcery anyway is that there's no belief as requirement. 
there are some magicians out there that that believe that met that believe that belief is the key element of magic, but I am not one of them. Interesting. Um, so for me, the the proof becomes in the pudding. Make offerings, and as things start to move and get smoother, uh, then you have experiences. You can you can sort out the details of whether did I project this? Is this just a part of my brain, or was this really a spirit? Later, and and gather evidence as you go to 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 flick to decide one way or the other. There's no uh, belief requirement. For so, me. Jason, for my audience, okay, the ones who have never done financial magic or anything like that, but want to see if it's legit and for real. And I love that you're saying that it works, whether you believe in it or you don't. So, right. what is something they can do for the next thirty days? that can help them see whether it's real or not? You say offerings, like what should they be doing? Well, you know, um, with offerings, I would say, you know, a simple um, pouring a tea on the ground in the morning and very simply asking for the spirits of the land in which you live. If you live in an apartment building, you know, uh, pour it outside in the bushes, something like that. Uh, a, you know, a nice libation where you're saying, you know, to the to the spirits of the ground, which I live, you know, I giving offering and thanks. Uh, please remember me and help bolster my efforts. Same thing. Light a little incense. Again, if you're in an apartment, walk outside in the balcony, leave it there. Um, if you're in a more rural area, then then you can obviously take advantage of that. Do this on a regular basis and then spend a little time, if you meditate, spend a little time after your meditation session without your mind focused on anything. So in other words, no breath meditation, no focusing on the yantra, just relax and listen and see if things come to you. See if you sense things and if you don't, then you don't. See how things move. I've had I've I've had some people do this who don't believe in spirits, and they'll say, "Well, I'm interacting with the energy of the universe, or the, with with prop." And okay, that's fine too. You know, no problem there. In which case, then get more specific. Um, let's you figure out something you want to go for over thirty days. Uh, and f choose a spirit that oversees that kind of thing. Make an offering. You know, set up a little shrine to Jupiter. You brought up Jupiter. Make you know, set up a shrine to Jupiter in in the financial sorcery book. I have prayer in there. I have all kinds of glyphs in there. So choose something you would like to see happen over the next 30 days. Figure out what glyphs are associated with that. Put them on a nice piece of parchment. Uh, you know, carry that with you. Have a little statue or a picture of Jupiter. Uh, every night offer some incense and see what happens. Make it a 30-day experiment. That's one of the reasons why, even though I'm such a skeptic, like I am such an asshole when it comes to these things, right? I'm such a skeptic and yet I religiously keep a logbook of all the rituals I've done, my results. And I mean, my results are just way too coincidental. Like I don't know how else to, exp it's just easier to say that it's because of this ritual than to think of some convoluted reason why it's not the ritual. Or not the magic. Right. And this is where people get to with spirits, too. You know, they will have the experience of a spirit appearing and talking to them in a ritual where this is supposed to happen. And then afterwards, they'll say, well, it's a projection of my brain through the lens of this sigil. And, and it's like, do you not see how ridiculous that sounds as opposed to the spirit appeared when I asked it to? 
you know, what I always tell people is any individual instance can be disregarded as a coincidence. But you have to do meta-analysis. Mm-hmm. Once you've got a stack of these happening over and over and over again, then you, you, you have to pay attention. You can't ignore it. You know, what I would warn is realize that within, say, a stack of 10 experiments, there's going to be one or two failures, too. One or two things that don't pan out. Didn't you say that there's an 80% success rate when it comes to magic? I think I read that somewhere. There are people that, that, that talk about a lot less and, and say, you know, if you have you know, uh, a 5% success rate. That's amazing. To which I'd say, you're not really doing this right. Um, you should, you should really look and develop your game a little more, maybe switch up, go to more traditional tech, go to less traditional tech, um, change your approach. But, but yeah, I'd say about 80% out of that 80%, then there are, Things that are going to be like, wow, that was amazing and undeniable. I had a student the other day uh, do a ritual involving Hecate and the Fates, uh, asked for a job that pays specific numbers within two days, which is like ludicrously fast even by my standards, um, turns around the exact sum. You know, so there will be successes in there that are like super exact. And then there will be successes that are more general where you can say, okay, you know, um, this, this is one of the things I did to get there and I got there. So I'm not going to discount this. Healthy skepticism versus strident and militant disbelief are different things. Hmm. So, you know, there are some elements of, of uh, modern atheism that are, uh, that are open and, and, and healthily skeptical. And I've always said people that don't have any reason to believe in magic, you shouldn't be upset that they don't believe in magic. And I'm still an atheist, and yet magic still works for me. So like you mentioned, it kind of doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's almost in a way, I want to say, like science. You know, gravity works whether you believe it or not. Just like when you get really deep into higher level science, it becomes a lot more magical. Like theoretical physics is just crazy magical. (laughs) Um, Magic happens to align really well with a lot of philosophy that may seem very anti-magical. Like the other day, I think we were talking about stoicism. Right. And meditation and magic go well together and stoicism and magic go well together. Now, most people think of stoicism as like, I think Tim Ferriss described the typical stereotype of a stoic as like the cow who's standing outside during the rain, just looking really sad. Like, oh, it's raining. I just have to endure. If magic is supposed to be done to change your situations, then how does magic and stoicism work together? That thing that I said magic is not necessarily the best at as far as changing deep-seated patterns in the self and and whatnot. Stoicism excels at. Um, Stoicism excels at placing things into context. Um, Stoicism should be about joy rather than about the lack of emotion or something like that. I, I, you know... The, the what I think of as the uh, as the the picture of a stoic that most people have in their head is maybe like Eeyore from uh, Winnie the Pooh, like mm-hmm. almost pessimistic. Right. Um, and, and that's not really it. You know, a stoic will do premeditatio malorum and focus on all the things that can go wrong and, and understand what the worst case scenario would bring. But they don't do this as a way to dwell on how it's going to suck. And they don't do this as a way of don't get too happy because this can all, you know. Um, 
they do it as a way of freeing themselves to be happy because the, the worst case scenario actually very rarely happens. And in a, in a well done premeditatio malorum, then you work through what you would do if there was a zombie apocalypse, if you were Seneca and got banished from Rome to an island somewhere, if you, you know, what, how would you live if you lost all of your money? And if you think about this dispassionately without freaking out, then it frees you up to say, well, I would still find happiness. You come out of it and you appreciate, first of all, that you're not dead. The people you thought about being dead aren't dead. You're, you still have all your money. And uh, so it also brings this characteristic of, of appreciating what you have rather than always going after the next thing. You know, reading Marcus Aurelius every day is, is just a great way to prepare yourself for, without bullshitting yourself about all the things that aren't going to go your way. Would you consider Marcus Aurelius to be a sorcerer? I don't know. Um, I, I try not to throw that term around too loosely. There are a lot of people that do magic without knowing. There are a lot of people who think things into existence. There are people who write things repeatedly. I think, uh, you know, Scott Adams, Dilbert Dude, you know, is a is a big fan of this uh, writing your affirmations and making stuff manifest. And that that is magic. Uh, a sorcerer is someone who studies magic as magic and does it with the expectation that it works. There's a lot of people that I know who are not magical at all, who are actually really amazing at manifesting things. Like, actually, yeah. the people who are the least concerned with magic, they're awesome at it. Why are they so good at it? Well... Uh, there can be a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, if they're putting... The, the mind is an amazing thing. There is... Uh, in, the, in the late 20th century, the magical community put a lot of stock in the magician's mind and energy. And now in this new century, there's sort of a return to traditionalism and people have returned to thinking about spirits which is great because I also do a lot of work with spirits, but they've then forsaken all of that stuff as like, oh, that's that fake psychological model that doesn't acknowledge spirits. And it's like, there's not a, it's not an either or here, guys. The magician is a spirit. The, you know, you are a spirit as well. You just happen to have a body. Um, <clears throat> so, there are people who, when they, they put their whole mind and effort towards something, something manifests. There's also something to be said for just the positive karma and benefit of prior work, past lives. And then, of course, there's, a, there's all the societal stuff where, you know, people manifest stuff. And, of course, they do because, you know, their family's rich <laughs> and has connections. So, you know, it would, it would, they would really have to be a major fuck-up to, uh, to not do well in life. Let's say I'm a newbie witch and I want to learn more, but there's so many resources out there. Where do I even start? Is there anything that you're working on to help the, the new witch? Well, you know, I did strategic sorcery, uh, which does start at a pretty basic point. Um, but I am actually working on a 30-day, your first 30 days of magic uh, project. This is the first time I've ever talked about this, because I've only gotten, like, I'm, I'm, unlike other courses, I'm writing the whole thing ahead of time, uh, because I want it to be automated, basically. People will sign up. And then every day they will get a, an email in the morning with a challenge uh, for that day. And by the end of 30 days, they will have the lay of the land uh, and, and have 
basic skills down. Like what sort of basic be, skills? So they'll have, you know, I, I, I don't mess around. I mean, the first one I have people meditating and then the next one after they've already done the 20 minutes of meditation, then I talk about, I, I break down like, no, you didn't suck at that. The reason that you're you're constantly distracted is because that's what meditation is and, and why that's beneficial. And like now that we've gotten that out of way, you know, here's an offering. Go make an offering. And then the next day after you've made it, okay, so this is, you know, the kind of thing that happens. This is why it works, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll lead people through some exercises. So they'll have a basic um, – the basic skills to do some energy work, to do offerings and understand what they are, to meditate. Uh, um, and then they'll have the, the knowledge of what traditions are out there. So that's coming up. Um, but there are a lot, you know, the, I'm not the only guy out there. There are a lot of other great programs and, and books and things like that. So, uh, you know, if people have a have a witchier um, bend towards things, Devlin Hunter, Christopher Penzak uh, have some some great stuff out there. Um, Evo Dominguez just put out a book on uh, developing your psychic senses that is wonderful, um, and he's 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 when it comes to how we think about magic. He's like my brother from another mother. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. The, the, the problem when I was coming up was finding good stuff or finding anything. Period. Really. Yeah. And the problem now is, is, is separating the, the signal from the noise because there is so much. Are there any magical podcasts or YouTube channels that you can recommend? Um, uh, <laughs> you're going to hate me for this, but I don't watch a lot of magical YouTube channels. It's because I'm an old fart. <laughs> uh, I'm not subscribed religiously to the YouTube, except for yours, ever okay. since you did the Money Magic video. I love uh, Rune Soup. That's like everyone's jam, yeah. and there's a reason for that. Uh, I love Gordon. Uh, we also think about things very similarly. There, you know, a cult of personality was another one that was out there that was uh, really fantastic. So uh, deeper down the rabbit hole, uh, they haven't done much yet uh, recently, but uh, they have some great interviews on there. So yeah, those are those are some great. Uh, podcasts to listen to what would jason miller today if you could go back in time and talk to jason miller let's say <laughs> age 20 like starting your oh, magical man. career what are the top three things that you would advise him to do and what are the top three things that you would advise him not to do in relation to magic oh, oh what a good question um you know First of all, I don't know if 20-year-old me would listen to 45-year-old me. <laughs> I, I have to do some convincing. I have to be like, look, here's a picture of your wife. Here's a picture of your bank account. <laughs> and, and, and on top of that, you have some, you know, spiritual happiness and you can sit and be alone for, you know, an hour and, and, and have a mystical experience. So listen to what I'm about to say and you'll get there faster. Uh, but then again, would I get there faster? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could if I could take the TARDIS back. Would I fuck up where I am now by giving me adv advice too early? Sometimes things need to hit you at exactly the right time. Um, you know, when I I would say take money more seriously. I would I would put say, put money aside. And then younger me would say, I don't have money to put aside. And then older me would say, yeah, um, you know, you bought a guitar and video games and, uh, you know, all these occult books, invest a little bit in the market. Um, you know, it's going to go up like 3,000% by the time. Buy Apple stock. 
<laughs> right. Take money more seriously would be the thing. Because I was I was the guy that I make fun of all the time. I, I Or I wouldn't make fun of it. Um, I, I don't like making fun of people, unless they're me, at least at some point. So when I pick on the spiritual person who thinks money is unspiritual and, and, and things like that, uh, that was me at, at, at that age. It's not unspiritual. It's part of the path to get traveling more before I had kids would be a big thing. Uh, I have kids now. I don't travel. I've met people that drag their kids all around Asia and, and, and wherever they want to go on their spiritual journey. And the kids are always fucking miserable. Um, and, you know, you know, while, while this guy is like, you know, oh, Rinpoche, I'm like, you know, your daughter has a heroin habit <laughs> from being in Kathmandu with nothing to do. Right. Oh, Rinpoche, what should I do about that? I'm like, take her the fuck home. <laughs> um, you know, so things like that are, are I don't do to my kids now that I have kids. I would say to my younger self, travel a lot more. Um, and that would be the number one thing. Meditate. Get the meditation down uh earlier uh which would be hard <laughs> to convince uh 20 year old jason i didn't start really meditating until a little bit later i i don't know uh things went pretty well over time so uh i'm very wary of how things can hit you when you're in one place they wouldn't be the same if they hit you at a different place. Hmm. But there's no there's no particular techniques that I would be like, you know, get this down fast. Uh, it would just be, you know, at 20, I was already taking things seriously. If you were, you know, John Reynolds, who I met uh, or already at that point, I met him when I was a teenager. He was really like, shit or get off the pot. Like, if you're interested in Crowley, let me introduce you to the OTO. I know all those guys in New York. If you're interested in uh, witchcraft, let's seek out some people. There's, you know, here's my friend who's a gardenerian. Let me take you into the city and introduce you to Lady Rhea. If you're interested in Santeria, like, you know, get an initiation, start talking to people. Um, and do the work, you know. So that he was a huge influence there. Um, so maybe spend more time with him. It sounds like in a lot of ways, magic, you can't force it to happen or to come into your life. It magically, literally kind of comes into your life when it needs to come into your life. Yeah, for me, for me, it definitely did. I had a bizarrely good, uh, exposure to different traditions early on living in the middle of, of New Jersey, like, you know, nowhere special the land of great adventure. Uh, and I, before I was 21, I had uh, regular exposure to a root worker who, who had a shop in Lakewood. I had uh, a teacher at my high school that also practiced uh, ceremonial magic and was a Rosicrucian who could guide me when as far as what to read and help me think about things a little bit differently. I don't want to paint a picture that like, you know, I was initiated by her or anything, but, uh, she was a huge help. I, and I met, uh, John while I was a teenager. And, um, so I had all these things right there at my disposal. Look around for mentors, look for people. Um, or look on the because, internet, right? Or look on the internet. But, yeah, I mean, look, that's what I, I, I try my best to be that for people uh, through my courses. Obviously, it's not scalable to have a one-on-one -on -one friendship with everybody. Try to make yourself the youngest person in the room and the least experienced person in the room. And if you're not, find the rooms where you are. Mm. That would that would be the big advice. But that was advice I kind of already had, was taking to heart back then. 
Um, it feeds the ego to be the most experienced person in a room. And Lord knows I've done more than my fair share of pompous pontificating um, in, in rooms of peers and, and younger people later. But um, I still make an effort to find the places where I'm the youngest person, the least knowledgeable person, the person with the least contacts, um, so that I can sit down and shut up and, and learn something new. Guys, seriously, get the financial sorcery book. It kind of changed my money game. Like, legit changed. Uh, that, can, can I just, like, that book, uh, it doesn't sell as well as Sorcerer's Secrets or Protection Magic, mm -hmm. but it's, the financial book is probably the one I'm the most proud of. Because it's the one that people come up and say, you know, this really spun things around for me. Yes. And I wrote it because I had a spinning around of how I thought about money. So it was, it, you know, it was a, a huge, huge thing for me. So even though I get criticized for being overly materialistic or something, um, you know, it, it matters. It really does. So. It does. And I'm, I'm so just, happy to hear that it did that for you. I, I will say that I got that book when I was just starting to learn about magic, period. So we're talking about skeptic, atheist, totally like not into any of that. And I got the book and it really spoke to me because it's so practical. You know, I have your other books as well. They're a little bit more advanced. They require a more open mind, I think. But financial right. sorcery... There's this one chapter, guys, where basically he just tells you how to lay out your altar. It's like, get some candles, lay it out this way, and this candle means this, this candle means that. You say some stuff, you say it this way, and then you draw this, like, glyph, this picture. And then you, basically he's giving you, uh, like, step by step exactly what you need to do. There's no thinking involved, right? And that's what I did. I just did it the way that chapter laid it out. And then within three months, I was starting to get these huge results. And I was just like, all right, I'm just not even going to fuck around and say that it's because of all these coincidences. The easiest explanation is I just followed this ritual. And that's the reason why I'm having all these coincidences happen to me. So, guys, I really and, recommend that book. And this is why you see business people making offerings at their local church. This is why... Uh, you see, you know, business people sponsoring pujas at the Buddhist temple, you know, because it matters. It, it really does. Seriously, guys, take some incense, okay? Like the best smelling incense that you can find. Just like light it every single night and just be like, Jupiter, you're awesome. And, you know, <laughs> like, literally, you just have to say like, Jupiter, you're awesome. And I totally want to build a relationship with you. Don't like be the jerk who's just like from the get go, like is trying to close the deal. Like I remember like reading or hearing some talk by Gary Vaynerchuk. And he was like, a lot of people, it's like they're trying to close a deal from the first meeting. It's like they're not thinking about building a long term relationship. So just every day for maybe like two weeks, just give offerings and talk about, you know, like all the ways that you want to build a relationship with Jupiter. And then, you know, then after you build a relationship, then you can start asking for, hey, Jupiter, you know, would it be okay if you worked with me on getting, I don't know, like 40 extra dollars this week, 20, whatever. And there then see what happens. Write it down. Let me know in the comments. Let us know. And if it doesn't work, and you know, contact Jason. He says that you can complain <laughs> to him. <laughs> Just tell me all the good so stuff. You by both of us. <laughs> right. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. 
Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five star rating. Each five star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan signing off. <laughs>